This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. The Missing is produced by What's the Story Sounds. They also make lots of other great content, which I think you might like. Why not sign up for What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll find series including The Missing completely ad-free, as well as bonus content and even entire series you can't hear elsewhere. Signing up is super easy. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Imagine answering your phone in the middle of a busy workday, only to be told that a loved one is missing. Surely the worst call you could ever receive. Now, build on that. Picture them missing in remote, mountainous terrain, hundreds of miles from home, in some of the worst weather conditions imaginable. And worst of all, suppose that the person in question is your 71-year-old father. Kate Armitage doesn't need to imagine that awful scenario. She lived it. And ever since her dad, Neil, went missing in the Scottish Highlands last year, she's done everything in her power to bring him home. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series produced by What's the Story Sounds, and brought to you with help from the charities Missing People and Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Neil Skinner. My mum and dad were, were both nurses. Um, they met in the Sue Ryder home, um, nursing home um, in Hickleton, not far from, from Doncaster. Kate's the third of four children. She's got two older twin brothers and a younger sister. Really happy childhood growing up. Lots of happy memories. My dad was uh, <laughs> a character. The family home was a lively place in those days, filled with the sound of children's laughter. The two of them did respite care for for, um, special needs children to give their families a break. And that was like a really special bond that we built with their family because they became part of our family, really. And, And our house was a very chaotic, busy household with lots of comings and goings. And my 
massive memory growing up is um, if I was out and I came back and we had like this little porch that you'd walk into before you went and walked into the kitchen and there would just be rows and rows of shoes. Now I'm a parent myself and I've only got one child. I cannot imagine all the ways that my parents were pulled left, right and centre and all the commitments that they had. The chaotic household matched Neil's equally chaotic personality. Um, his timekeeping was was appalling. He would always be running late or he couldn't manage his time to get to get things organised. I always remember, and mum used to laugh to me about it, that he had his harem of nurses around him at hospital that would, would um, because he was such a great hands-on nurse with the actual nursing aspect, but he was terrible with his with his paperwork but because they loved his nursing skills, a lot of his junior nurses would help him with that paperwork. And that did put a strain on on my parents' marriage because he also was not good at paperwork at home and, and management of what I would refer to as life laundry. So all that fell to mum and mum left her nursing career when she had for the four of us because She couldn't be going out working nights and working shifts because she had to run the house. Dad couldn't organise any of that. She was very much the linchpin of the house. (laughs) Years later, all of this behaviour was put into a new context for Kate when it emerged that Neil had Asperger's. Asperger's syndrome, a form of autism, is a developmental disorder which can cause people to experience difficulty functioning in social situations. Poor time management is also extremely common for people with Asperger's. So that made things fall into place a little bit more of things that had happened in my childhood and some of my dad's behaviour growing up. This revelation came relatively late in life. The Skinner children had all flown the nest and sadly, Kate's parents had been divorced for over a decade. Kate remembers when she first heard the news of her parents' separation all too well. Oh, absolute major, absolute shock. And everybody, not just immediate family, but all um, the church community and friends, dad's colleagues even, were very, very shocked when um, my my parents divorced. Nobody saw that, that coming. When Kate's mother told her why they were splitting up, she was devastated. He'd met somebody else, yeah. He'd met a colleague at work and, well, let's call a spade a spade, he he had an affair. And my mum found out, so it basically forced him to leave. He didn't come to her and say, I'm leaving you. He was having an extramarital affair and got got caught out by my mum because she phoned work about something and he said he was at work and he wasn't. The fallout was significant. Neil moved out and into the home of the woman he was seeing. The impact on his relationship with his children was huge. I didn't see my dad for probably maybe four or five years. And then I decided to reconnect with him because I was missing missing him in my life. I remember the day actually that I went, I just I had a real I had a friend at the time that had lost his dad when he was very young and he just said to me look everything's not been perfect with your dad but you only have one dad so just think about this carefully so I just got up one morning and thought right 
found out he was on duty, drove there, waited in the waiting room and um, just said, you know, can I, can I speak to Neil Skinner? And I'd not seen him for, for quite a few years and he just walked in and <laughs> just had this absolute shock on his face um, because I think he thought, you know, he wasn't going to see his children again because we'd all, um, you, know, not, you know, not been in touch with him for a long time. Kate wanted to get everyone on speaking terms with each other again, which was no small task. In fact, I had them all over here for Christmas one year. Mum was very, very civil with Dad and she stayed in the spare room and Dad slept on a fold-out bed in the, in the lounge and they spent the weekend together and actually was very friendly towards each other. She made the whole weekend very nice for all of us. By the time the family got together to celebrate Kate's 40th birthday, everyone had started warming up to each other again. That was nice that that could happen. And I'm glad now Dad's not here anymore that we have had those moments. At this point, Neil's new relationship had ended and he found himself without a roof over his head. Kate helped him to find a place in Thorne, a small market town in South Yorkshire, about an hour's drive from Kate's home. So we set him up in the house and... That was sort of a massively new chapter for him. And that's where he took on a lot more hobbies and made a lot more friends. Neil started hiking and he was seeing people socially. He even attended the odd music festival. But things weren't all rosy. He had periods of depression. So I, I, I would not hear from him for a couple of months he didn't go disappearing or anything. He'd just go quiet on me um, because he was living in Doncaster. I was in Chesterfield. And I think now looking back on it, he was maybe having a difficult time. Then one day, about a decade ago, Neil's friend Mark, who was staying with him at the time, returned to the house to find Neil in an alarming state. So he'd met this um, guy that I believe was serving behind the bar in his local pub and had nowhere to live. Another kind act on Dad's behalf, he let this man move in with him and live in the spare room while this guy got on his feet. Neil clearly wasn't himself. He was slow to respond to questions and was slurring his words. Mark knew right away that something was terribly wrong. They thought he'd had a stroke. So they called an ambulance and he was rushed to Sheffield Hospital on the stroke unit. I remember him, as this just sticks with me, he held my hand in the hospital and was just crying uncontrollably, saying that he didn't want to die. It was a very, very scary time. But he recovered really well and the tests actually showed that he'd got a condition where um, his some blood vessels in his brain had burst and the blood on his brain had actually caused the symptoms of a stroke but it wasn't actually classified as a stroke and he'd had a very nasty um, fit in his sleep so he'd come off night duty said he wasn't feeling very well at the nursing home come home he cycled actually but he was keeping very fit at the time and it was about, I think it was about probably eight or nine miles each way. So he'd, he'd cycled, I believe, there. And I think he left his, his bike there because he wasn't feeling very well, got a taxi home, went straight to bed, and then in his sleep had this fit because of this brain bleed. Neil bounced back 
but there were several instances in the aftermath of his health scare that gave his family pause. Chief amongst them was something that happened when Neil was staying with Kate's younger sister Ruth. He doesn't sleep great and he would wake up very early, go for a walk and very often come back, then have a bit of a sleep before then getting back up for his breakfast. So he'd often go out at maybe half five, six o'clock for an early morning walk. And my sister was quite worried and she came downstairs. The door wasn't open, it was shut, but it was her front door was not locked and dad wasn't anywhere to be found. He'd gone out for a walk but not left her a note. So she just thought, well, he's gone out for a walk, it's what he does. So he'd obviously gone and done that, but he'd been gone for hours. Um, when she finally did get in touch with him, um, he said he'd, he'd got lost. And it was just a very vague explanation. It was pretty disconcerting, and it wasn't an isolated incident. I helped him in the December of 21 to get everybody's Christmas presents, and he just didn't seem very with it to me. He was getting flustered and about who he had to buy for. And when we'd bought something, I had to sit him down in a coffee shop and lay everything out on a table and help him to remind him, like, we've just bought that half an hour ago. That That's for Gabriel. Nevertheless, Neil seemed to be determined not to let these hiccups get in the way of living his life. He loved spending time in Scotland, where he could combine his two main passions, hiking and whiskey. In June 2021, after a year spent locked down due to COVID restrictions, Neil and two of his friends travelled to the Isle of Skye, off the northwest coast of Scotland. Neil's younger companions wanted to take a more strenuous route than the flatter, more scenic trails Neil preferred, so it was mutually decided that they would separate, albeit temporarily. So he was on his own and the mist came in and he got lost and his friends had to call Mountain Rescue. And um, I think he was missing for around five or six hours from what I understand. They sent the helicopter up and they found Dad and just at the point they found him, he was actually had followed a stream, crossed a field and had found a farm building and was asking for help saying, I've got lost. So obviously the helicopter was sent down and they just sent the Jeep up because they'd found where he was and it brought him back down and he was quite embarrassed. My dad told me after the event that he said, what a waste of taxpayers' money. Neil elected not to tell his family about this initially. Dad mentioned it in passing to me months, months later as if he thought I knew and I think he had forgotten he'd not told me that he got lost and that Mountain Rescue were deployed. I was mortified and alarmed at this story. So I said, what? you know, and was questioning. And then then dad clammed up because he realised, oh, I haven't told you this story. And he was embarrassed. So he just shut it down and said, oh, no, no, it was nothing. It was nothing. It all got sorted and tried to just brush it under the carpet. The last time Kate saw her father was during a dinner with her sister and their children, Kate's six-year-old son, Gabriel, and Ruth's baby boy, Oscar. We all sat at a table together, had lunch. Um, he had a laugh with Oscar. He held Gabriel so my sister could eat her lunch. So, you know, we saw both his grandchildren and um, gave him a hug and a kiss outside the restaurant. So that was the last time. Yeah, it was the last time we ever uh, met up with Dad. A few months later, shortly after midday, on Tuesday the 10th of May, 
2022. Kate's mobile rang. So since COVID, I've been working in my home office a lot. Um, I was on a, a Teams call to do with work and my phone just kept ringing and ringing with unknown number and it just kept ringing off and then ringing again. So after about 15 minutes, of, I thought, some, is it somebody from my son's school phoning or something like that? So I just said to this work call, I said, look, I'm just going to have to dial off. Somebody keeps phoning me. It must be important. And then everything changed after that call, basically. Kate answered the phone. And to her surprise, the voice on the other end of the line belonged to an officer in the Scottish police force. And they said, are you Neil Skinner's next of kin? And I said, yes. So my brain was just whirring. It's like, why would Police Scotland be phoning me? My dad lives in Doncaster. And they said, your dad is a high-risk missing person. I just couldn't take it in. I was just so confused. So I said, why why is it Police Scotland? And they said, well, because he's missing in Scotland. Don't you know he's here? And I said, no. The officer went on to explain that Neil had been on a walking holiday with two friends, Colin and Jill. Kate recognised their names immediately. Colin and Jill were a couple, both of them keen hikers, and Neil had gone on several trips with them before. So I said, well, when did he go missing? And they said, well, we don't really know. The last time he was seen was Sunday at midday. Well, that, I just felt sick. So it's Tuesday midday and you're telling me the last time he was seen was Sunday midday. That's two days ago. Why why am I only getting the phone call now? So I was quite, well, I'll be honest, I was extremely angry that I had no proper logistical explanation to anything. I was so far removed from the situation, you know, I'm, I'm in Derbyshire. They're seven hours away in the depths of Scotland. Of course, I just wanted to just get in the car and drive up there, but they said, don't do that. It's very remote where where he's gone missing. You know, it's not near any roads. The closest car park to where his friends had left the car and then hiked to the lock where they'd found his tent was was six miles away. So this was just the start of a nightmare for, for, for me and the rest of the family, really. Bit by bit, the events leading up to Neil's disappearance came to light until, eventually, Kate had an hour-by-hour account of everything that had happened during the trip, starting with the outward journey on May the 6th. On the Friday, they'd travelled up from Doncaster together and camped in an organised campsite on the Friday night to just break the journey up a bit. So then packed the tents up and travelled by car further north into Scotland on the Saturday. So the last known CCTV footage of Dad is at the Greenwelly services in um, the village not far from the Bridge of Orkey. And he's seen buying some buying some camping equipment, actually, um, a camping mug, a camelback water storage pack. And they got quite a specialist whiskey shop inside the services. And he loves his single malts and he'd bought a bottle of whiskey and there's CCTV footage of him buying all those, laughing and joking with the staff. And everything was normal. They then um, got in the car, drove 
around another couple of miles to um, the Victoria Bridge car park, which is the closest place you can park the car to then start this planned hike that they were planning to do starting Saturday lunchtime to weather allowing they were planning to hike around 40 miles circular route back to the car park between the Saturday lunchtime and Thursday traveling back to Doncaster on the Friday on the following Friday so they they left the car left a lot of the belongings in the car that they wouldn't be taking for this wild camping 40 mile trip so with them they just had one rucksack each which had their their tent all their food for the next five days. Loch Dockard is about a six mile hike from the car park in Victoria Bridge. And they made that hike, the three of them together, and then they decided to wild camp on the peninsula bit of land out to Loch Dockard on the Saturday night together. So they all pitched up the tents and they all had an evening meal and camped there together on that on that Saturday evening. And then Sunday morning, got up, all had their breakfast, packed all their equipment up, and they were now heading off onto the next part of their route, which would have been day two of this 40-mile hike. And they all set off. Dad was still at that point planning to go with them. And they said they got about an hour and a half into the hike. And Dad said, do you know what? I think this is going to be too much for me. I think at that point, Dad had realised he'd bitten off more than he could chew with the terrain and the mileage. His friends were caught off guard. They weren't ready for this um, change of plans, so they had no plan B. They're so far out into the middle of nowhere, um, they've got, they do all have mobile phones, but they're useless. They've got them turned off because there's no signal, so even if they were turned on, they're pointless so they can't communicate with the outside world and they can't now once they've separated communicate with each other which I feel is a very dangerous situation to be in. The three friends discussed what they should do. Colin and Jill suggested slowing the pace or shortening the route but Neil rejected these proposals out of hand not wanting to deprive them of their planned hike. He said no no it's fine you go on I'm quite happy just going back to the lock. I'll hang around there. So they agreed at that point to separate. So this was Sunday around midday until Thursday. They said to Dad, right, weather allowing, as long as the weather stays fine, we will do this route that we've planned, which is circular. So we'll come back and collect you from the lock on Thursday, unless the weather changes. Bear in mind, they've got no way of communicating with each other now. So that's just the plan. So dad is now basically just hanging around Sunday afternoon till whatever time on Thursday they make it back. Later that night, the heavens opened. It was torrential rain. So they must have discussed between the two of them, right, we better go back for for Neil. And they no longer wanted to carry on with their hike and wild camping because the the weather was very nasty. So they packed all their equipment up on the Monday morning and hiked back to go and get dad and come up with a different plan for the holiday, basically. They came back down the track 
that they'd walked up with dad and dad had walked back himself. They, in the distance, saw dad's tent on the, on the um, peninsula where they'd agreed they would meet. So they, they just presumed that he was going to be asleep in the tent. When they approached his tent, they still thought he was going to be inside because his walking poles were stabbed in the ground outside his tent and his overnight breakfast oats were in a pot soaking outside his tent. His tent had two zips, so the first zip was flapping in the wind, soaking wet, but the second zip was was done up. So they unzipped his tent, but no dad. So they thought, well, this is strange, because, well, he's clearly not gone for a hike, as they thought, because the walking poles were stabbed in the ground. So they just hung around, thinking, well, he's nipped for a toilet break or something very locally. Um, he'll be back any minute. Minutes turned into hours, and then as a number of hours passed, they started to get worried. But they're in a very difficult situation of no mobile phone signal, so they can't they can't call this in to the police. To add to this, all Dad's belongings were in the tent. So his wallet with all his money, his mobile phone, all his food bagged up days of the week on it. They said it looked like he'd just had a drink recently because um, there was like remnants of bit of tea in a cup not not still warm but just remnants of that and remnants of some food in his camping stove pot so he is literally missing with the clothes on his back and his walking boots on later appeals by the authorities for information about neil's whereabouts resulted in one sighting a group of hill walkers and their dog passed by the area where Neil was camped and saw someone matching his description poke their head out of the tent, no doubt alerted by their dogs barking. This happened shortly before 2pm on Sunday. So we know he made it back safely, back to the peninsula, set his tent up and was presumably probably having a rest when these guys walked by because he'd have at this point done a three-hour hike because he'd gone an hour and a half with Colin and Jill then turned back and had to make the hour and a half back and then you know it's quite a big job setting all your tent up and getting all your equipment back out you know at 71 he was probably pretty shattered by then. As Colin and Jill sat and waited wondering what to do they remembered that they had given Neil the key to their car. They said, take the spare car key in case you want any of your other equipment. You could go and get it. Or if the weather is very, turns very bad, you can take shelter in the car. So as the hours went on, they started to think, because the weather was very bad, has he gone back to the car? Which would be strange because if he's gone back to the car, why wouldn't you pack all your equipment up and take it with you? So they had to make a very difficult decision. What, what do they do to get help? Because all, all his things are there. Dad could be back at the car, he might not be, but they've got to get back to the car anyway to get a signal to call for help. So, and it was getting very late and dark and the weather was bad. So they made the decision to get back to the car, which then once they got back to the car park, sadly dad wasn't there but they got some, a mobile signal and said so they could phone the police for help. So they reported dad missing. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Typically, the first step for any mountain rescue operation is to scour the relevant area by helicopter. But given the time of evening when the report was first made and the poor weather conditions, they had to wait another 12 hours to begin the search in earnest. So the helicopters weren't deployed until first light on Tuesday morning. That was just a horrible feeling because they're telling you The weather is so bad, it's proving difficult to actually conduct a search. At some points, they couldn't get drones up. They couldn't have the dogs out because the weather was was so bad. Driving wind, driving rain, torrential rain, and a very unforgiving terrain. At sunrise on Tuesday morning, the helicopters set out for Loch Dockard. On day one, they had the Coast Guard helicopter up and the mountain rescue helicopters, so they got two helicopters up. Um, they'd got various mountain rescue teams out because at this point they're telling us, well, we're going to find him. Kate took comfort in the fact that for the authorities, this was still a rescue mission, not a recovery one. But every night, as she tossed and turned in vain, trying to catch some much-needed sleep, she found it hard to keep the negative thoughts at bay. Obviously, I've been speaking to the police every day at this point and I'm, they're telling me how awful the weather is. So I just, I remember, I think it rained here in Derbyshire actually and the rain was just battering on the window. It was like one in the morning and I'd just lay in bed thinking, wow, this doesn't feel nice for me and I'm in a lovely warm bed in a nice house with the central heating on. Like, he's out in torrential rain no, nothing, no cover, no, just in a jacket and walking trousers because they'd found his waterproofs in his, in his tent as well, like his waterproof over trousers and over jacket. It was not a nice feeling to just think. I started going to some very dark places of thinking, what will he be thinking if he's alive now? Like, I started thinking, are the helicopters circling above him and he's injured? somewhere trapped somewhere but and he can hear the helicopters but they can't see him and get to him and what how awful that would be with every day that went by without news of neil's safe return kate's stress levels went up those first few weeks were just awful probably about week two i said just broke down to one of the police and i said are you just looking for a body now and they said no, we honestly do think he could still have survived this. 
you know, we will we'll be honest with you when we think there's no hope, but we still think there's hope that he could have survived this. We're still looking for a live person and it was very much an, an active search. They were still searching daily. But as the weeks went by, and then obviously they were utterly confused why he was not in the very close vicinity of his tent. After weeks spent examining the terrain around Neil's tent, picking over the trail with a fine tooth comb and finding no sign of him, the search and rescue teams were left scratching their heads. Normally when the mountain rescue get a call, it's that somebody's gone missing whilst out hiking. That, that's the norm for them. So the person's gone missing out on a hike, usually with their equipment on the back. And it's a bit of a needle in a haystack for them unless the person had mapped their route and told a family member where they were going, they're, they're searching in 360 terrain. They don't know what direction they've potentially gone in. But with Dad, they've got an absolute pinpoint of where he's, where he's gone missing from. Yeah, we, we were positive on the first few days, very positive. He's used to the terrain. There's lots of water sources. You know, he would just be lacking in food, but he could he could get water from all the streams that were about. So there was a very good chance that he could survive this if they could find him quickly. Kate had filled the police in on her father's medical history, worried it might have played a role in his disappearance. But had Neil taken ill and wandered off, disorientated, it's unlikely he'd have gotten far on such terrain. So the authorities switched their focus to the waters of Loch Dochard. The freshwater lake has a perimeter three kilometres in length and measures 42 feet at its deepest point. Their thoughts just turned to, there's been some awful accident and he's in the loch. So in the first few days, they had snorkelers in actually just in the outskirts of the water. Then when they seriously thought this is the only answer here is in the lock they they got divers there but it's so the logistics of the location are very difficult and um you can get to part way from a track it's not even a public road it's a private track so you can get part way up there but not all the way so trying to get equipment to the lock was very difficult for them the authorities deployed a boat kitted out with sonar equipment which scanned the lake, searching for masses in the water. Should anything out of the ordinary get picked up, a diver would be sent down to investigate. So they did that. That, that showed nothing. Um, they then There's only four specialist dogs in the whole of the UK that um, are trained to find bodies in water. Um, but the dog has to be in a boat on the water to be sniffing over the edge to be able to do it. So again, that took quite a lot of weeks to, to get make that happen because to get the boat there was very difficult. In warm, shallow water, decomposition happens rapidly and drowned bodies tend to resurface within 72 hours. Cold temperatures slow decay, however, and bodies in deep lakes can remain submerged for far longer, sometimes indefinitely, pinned down by the weight of the water. 
In Neil's case, Search and Rescue returned to Lake Dockard with dog teams in September, by when they would have expected a body to surface. But their search of the lake's perimeter turned up nothing. They've extensively searched the log and nothing can be 100% unless they drained it, obviously, but to the best of their ability. About three and a half weeks into the search for her dad, Kate decided that she could no longer sit and wait by the phone for updates. I said to my husband, I've got to go up there. I, I need to, I need to see where dad camped. I need to see this area because I'm imagining everything in my head and I'm so far removed from this situation. The mountain rescue team and the inspector in charge of dad's case at the time, and they took us out to the lock, showed us there was just a, a big pile of boulders that they'd stacked up to show where dad's tent had been, because everything had obviously been taken away by the police and was now in police custody, packed away. So we just were taken out to see this huge pile of boulders where, where we know dad was last alive and well. And it's just this huge, huge question mark and mystery uh, to what, what has happened to him. And we're no further forward a year later to understanding that. The combined efforts by the police and mountain search and rescue teams was extensive. But these searches require a huge amount of resources and manpower, and they cannot go on indefinitely. In July 2022, Kate got some unfortunate news. So obviously at a point in time, the police and mountain rescue have to say, look, we cannot throw any more resources at this. And, and I've got to say they, they went at, at the searches a lot longer than I expected. And, and they've gone over a lot of old ground multiple times, particularly when we had the season change. Cause obviously when you go from the height of the summer, when everything's plush, the trees are covered in leaves, then you go through all the seasons, um, you know, once the trees were much barer, they said, look, we'll do another search. So they've been great like that. But what absolutely shocked me was when I met with the mountain rescue and he explained to me the volume of people that go missing just in Scotland. There are nearly 15,000 missing incidents reported to Scottish police every single year with the majority of these being medium to high-risk missing persons. Many more incidents go unreported. It's really alarming. And the amount of people that went missing the same week as Dad, and then as the weeks go on, more and more people are going missing, and they have to turn their resources and efforts to those new missing people because they, they could be alive, so they have to direct the the resources and efforts there and I totally get it because they said there's just no chance that your dad could be alive now so we are looking for a body at this point. So that was a really depressing time for us. That phone call of, right, I'm sorry, the the official searches are, are done. They're finished. They won't be doing any more unless any new evidence comes to light. Could there be a possibility that Neil took his own life? Kate, for one, has no reason to believe that her dad has died by suicide. We don't believe he harmed himself. There's nothing to suggest that. He was perfectly happy. And the fact that he got lost on the Isle of Skye, he's just got form for not having a good sense of direction. After the official search is concluded, 
Kate was contacted by a man named Phil Jones. Phil is the leader of Beneath the Surface, a voluntary underwater search and recovery team. Earlier in the rescue effort, he had offered his organization's services to the police, specifically the use of their sonar technology to search the waters of Loch Dockard. For insurance reasons, the police ended up scanning the lake themselves. But now that the official search had wound down, Phil wanted to help in any way that he could. He suggested a hiked search. So I said, yes, that would be amazing. I said, I'd planned to go back out there in May at the the one-year anniversary because I wanted to take my auntie and uncle, my dad's brother and sister, out there. I wanted them to go and see where their brother had camped and see this amazing, beautiful place because it had really helped me going out there with my husband and seeing it with my own eyes and understanding why Dad had probably wanted to go there and why he decided to go and, you know, camp back there when he didn't want to do the rest of the walk. And they were really up for getting out there and Dad was the youngest of of the three of them, so they're, you know, in the 70s, not getting any younger. So they didn't want to leave it much longer themselves because they knew it was a pretty big walk. So we coordinated it all for the end of May bank holiday that myself and all my family would be going to make that journey that Dad had made from the Victoria Bridge car park to the Loch Dockard. And Phil was asking for volunteers to do a search over the two, three days of that bank holiday weekend. So we met some really amazing people really does restore your faith in um, human nature that these are just total strangers don't know dad never met him before in the life just read about his missing persons case and it struck a chord with them because they are two are fellow hikers wild campers and they as they've said to me this could have happened to me and I'd like to think that somebody would come out and look for me Kate, accompanied by family, made the pilgrimage to Loch Dockard to honour Neil. At the same time, the hiked search, led by Phil, was scouring the area for signs of Kate's dad. So when we got to the loch, I just was preparing everybody because I said, look, it hit me when I saw this pile of boulders that the police had put there to mark where dad's tent had been. That was a really difficult point for me. So I just stood back a bit because it did hit my dad's sister particularly exactly as it had hit me and she just broke down when she saw this pile of of boulders where dad's tent had been. So we all just hugged each other and just stood round and looked where dad had camped and the weather was amazing. It was absolutely stunning that weekend. Um, It was bright sunshine. In fact, we'd all got our Factor 50 on. It was so hot. And my Auntie Sue, so my dad's brother's um, wife, had taken out a rhubarb and ginger cake that she'd baked. Neil had always been very fond of a single malt whiskey, so his son Matt brought something special to toast his father with. So he'd made some slow gin and some bramble whiskey and he'd got um, hip flasks with that in. And I'd brought some um, plastic cups out with us. So we all just 
got a tipple in our cups and we just stood around where dad had camped and we all just raised a glass to him and then my auntie came up with this lovely idea of all collecting another stone from the little beach area around the lock and then just placing it on the pile of boulders where dad's tent had been and just when you place your stone down either have a thought in your head about him or say something about him out loud a memory that you'd had so we did that and then um, we'd I'd ordered um, an oak memorial plaque and we placed that on the peninsula where, where dad had, um, had camped that last time and we spent about two couple of hours just all sort of sharing stories and sitting around eating cake and slow gin and bramble whiskey and sandwiches. <laughs> it's important to clarify that for Kate, the plaque wasn't a gravestone, nor a sign that they'd given up on finding Neil. But erecting it was an important ritual for the family to carry out together. Because when somebody dies, you usually have a funeral. And that is the time that you would do that. You, you just, you know, from all corners of the country, you usually get together, uh, you know, bury that person, and then you have a wake afterwards. And that's the time you get together and talk about that person's life and memories. And we haven't had that. That is just so missing in our life. So to have done that, which will be really the closest we'll ever get, I unless we find his body, please God, one day. So to just have that time together as a family and just reflect and, yes, we cried, but we also laughed and had a laugh and we've got, I've got so many pictures that we took of that weekend. So it was, it was a really special weekend for, definitely for me, and I know my auntie and uncle messaged me afterwards and just said, Thank you so much for organising that. It was really a milestone in the grief process that they needed. At this point, Kate just wants to bring her dad home. I feel like he's wandered away from his tent for some reason and the weather's turned and he's got completely disorientated and hasn't been able to make his way back and has sadly died somewhere close to Loch Dockard but for whatever reason, his body's hidden away somewhere and not been able to be found up to now. And I would really, really like to bring his body home and lay him to rest properly. So if you happen to be hiking in that region. So I think Phil from Beneath the Surface worded this so well. He said, don't just hike, hike with a cause. So I'm asking people, hike with a cause. If you want to go wild camping and hiking in Scotland, but you don't quite know where to go, go to Loch Dockard. There's some amazing walks around there. It's so remote. It's beautiful. Go there and think about our story and please help us try and recover my dad's body. You know, we don't know what's happened to him. We don't know what led him to leave his tent and walk off. His body is somewhere. Um, he, he'd got grey walking trousers and a green waterproof walking jacket. We really want some answers and we really just want to bring his body home and bury him and just start the proper grieving process because this is just living with us every day of this huge question mark and I really would like some form of answer to what happened to Dad and, and where he is. 
In many cases, it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they crave. If you know what happened to Neil, or you remember seeing someone like him on May the 8th, 2022, your information could be vital. Even if you've never heard of Neil Skinner before listening to this episode, you could still help. Visit our website, themissingpodcast.org, where you'll find more information on this and every other case we've featured in the series. The series is also made with the help of Missing People, a charity who offers support to the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you have been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. Kate and her family hope that the information will soon arrive to solve this one. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. Executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.